And this is the witness of God's people. Thanks be to God. So friends, here in this story, we have someone asking Jesus a question that keeps popping up again and again through the history of Christianity and really, I would say, the existence of humans. Who's in and who's out? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? And really, more specifically, we're the good guys, right? Or just checking that we are. Jesus, typically, doesn't answer the question directly. There's the, uh, succinctness is not one of Jesus' spiritual gifts. So Jesus doesn't say yes or no. But what he does say is not initially reassuring. Jesus tells us that many will try to enter and not be able that we will knock and the door will remain closed, that God will call us evildoers and reject us, that we will wail and gnash our teeth and watch others eat in the kingdom of God. I mean, geez, Louise, he sure seems to be saying that only a few are going to be saved. So this is not only uncomfortable, but deeply troubling we follow Jesus for many reasons, but I'm guessing that for many of us, we follow Jesus because he tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We turn to Jesus as the light who shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We proclaim in Jesus' name an affirming love that gathers all to the table, because we believe that the table is God's and not ours. So, how can this be the same Jesus? Where is the love? And if we want to get really into the tough stuff, what if we're wrong? Oh, I'm just going to pause and say, hi, Marlene. It's so nice to see you. I don't want to, uh, I'm so delighted you joined us. Okay, so another distressing thought about this. But if we're wrong, harsh and judgmental, what if those other Christians, and maybe we don't know which other Christians we mean, but we know they're out there, what if those other Christians who preach anger and punishment and guilt and fear are right and we're wrong? So let's just name how much courage it takes to face these thoughts, friends, right? Like, it is a gutsy move to say, Ooh, what, what, what do I do with these deeply held principles when they don't match up with what I'm reading, right? That's, that's not an exercise for the faint of heart. So the temptation for someone like me preaching this um, is to find a way to explain that Jesus didn't actually mean it. Right? So maybe there's something in the original Greek that softens what Jesus is saying. Maybe it should be translated differently. Maybe if we know something about the historical context, we would understand it better. And that is all true. Often those are very helpful tools for helping us understand and, and work with a passage. The other side of that, though, is that 
um, and this is something I'm struggling with in my learning, is that I don't want to reinforce some kind of idea that you need to be able to read ancient Greek to understand the Bible, right? I, I don't want to um, idolize uh, the kind of learning that I have, that the United Church has required me to have to hold this position. I think it's very good that the United Church requires its ministers to have an education, but I also think that part of my role is to equip and empower you to read the Bible without me, right? Like in some ways, I think my job is to make myself redundant. Um, and so, for today, I want to practice our collective skills in reading the Bible together with imagination and curiosity and the courage and the generosity that I know we all have. Um, and I'm pretty sure some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive, so I think you've got knowledge that is going to come to the table here. Okay, so... Here's my first question then. If we work with the assumption that Jesus means what he said, right? That only a few are getting in. Here's my first question. I wonder whether it's on purpose. I wonder whether Jesus is shocking us and upsetting us on purpose. I wonder whether Jesus is pushing us to stop and think, am I taking my salvation for granted? Am I taking it for granted that I'm an insider? Now, that is not the same as the, you know, blessed assurance that Jesus is ours. It's, I, I wonder if Jesus is, is pushing on the human temptation of self-satisfaction and self-congratulation, right? Because I do this, you know, those other churches, they don't ordain women, you know, those other churches, they don't let gay people have communion. Oh, well, poof, winning, right? That tendency to congratulate ourselves on being the better Christian. I also wonder whether Jesus is pushing back against all the little justifications and moral rationalizations we make on a daily basis. I wonder whether Jesus is pushing back against how easy it is for us because we need to get through the day, because there is so much need in the world, how tempting it can be to ignore suffering and reassure ourselves that we don't mean to be part of unjust systems. I wonder if Jesus is pushing back against our habits of complacency, and as someone who's just moved from Vancouver, the, the prioritization of something like the cost of a product over the working conditions of Amazon employees and skip the dishes delivery drivers. So I wonder if Jesus is just reminding us to keep checking in with ourselves. And initially, that is harsh. And I think the uncomfortable bit here is that sometimes Jesus just is strict. Sometimes Jesus is demanding. Sometimes Jesus tightens up Jewish teachings, right? Last week... Um, 
was it last week? They're blending together. I think it was last week I preached about divorce, right? And Jesus in his teaching in Mark is way more strict than any Jewish rabbi ever was. So sometimes Jesus actually gets more strict. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus is not uniformly strict. He's not harsh. There is plenty of love and generosity and openness. And so I wonder whether these moments of strictness, these moments of, of, of demand, are like a parent who says, okay, it would be so much easier to just let this behavior slide, right? Like to use a really innocuous example, it would be so much easier to just let you just tidy up your room for you but if I do that, I'm doing you no favors in the long run. So I'm going to stand here for an hour supervising you picking up your room when it would take me 15 minutes to do it, right? Let's do the hard work of holding you to a higher standard. And here's the next thing I wonder. I wonder if this is an indirect reminder that we are not God. We do not get to decide who is in and who is out. And Lord, friends, I know I am pretty clear on who I'd like to keep out and who I think should be in. But the Christian church also has an ugly past of assuming that we know exactly how God thinks and can therefore safely kick people out in the name of God. So in other words, Jesus might be saying, don't assume you know everything. In other words, stay humble, stay open, stay curious, worry about the log in your own eye before you go pointing out the sliver in your neighbors. Now, this doesn't mean we never speak up, right? This doesn't mean that we just say, oh, well, we love our neighbors, so if our neighbors are doing something uh, damaging to the community, um, then, then we just never, you know, uh, we just love them, right? We can publicly condemn um, harmful practices because our loving God is also a God of justice who requires us to speak up for those who are marginalized, but we can condemn um, uh, things that, that other folks are doing without then congratulating ourselves on being so much more enlightened and loving and better Christians. So to use an example, um, there is a push, I think, in various cities across Canada to make conversion therapy illegal. Um, this is therapy in which people claim to, to you know, turn gay people straight. Um, and it's incredibly, incredibly damaging, it's traumatizing, and people come out in worse shape than they went in. So we can go ahead and say, that is a horrible thing to do, without then saying, oh, <laughs> we're so much better because we don't do that. Okay, now that's the hard part of the message. But I've got two questions that I can hope can give us some hope in the face of this uncompromising side of Jesus. One. What if the salvation and the kingdom that Jesus is talking about are part of this life and not only the next? Salvation means healing 
as much as anything. And so while we in the Christian tradition at this point really associate salvation with going to heaven, the Bible doesn't talk about heaven and the afterlife so much as the Bible actually talks about the physical resurrection of the body when Jesus returns at the last day of judgment. And so in terms of salvation, what if we think of it as healing as much as anything? And two, even if the door is closed against us, does it mean it is closed forever? Does this teaching rule out second, third, and 563rd chances? Because this is the same Jesus who teaches This is the same to worry. This is the same Jesus who tells us that when we ask, it shall be given to us. When we seek, we shall find. And when we knock, the door will be opened. So what if we hold this Jesus teaching right alongside all those other Jesus teachings? What if we don't exhaust ourselves trying to make rules out of them? What if we don't try and make them all fit perfectly together? Because friends, this life of ours is messy. And while we will look back and ahead and try to make things fit together, sometimes life just doesn't. What if we think of all these different Jesus stories as different sections of an orchestra, right? It's all working together, but sometimes the strings are more important, sometimes the horn section, sometimes the timpani, but they're all working together to create something beautiful and moving. What if the salvation Jesus is talking about is just as much about salvation in this life? What if it's salvation from the idea that we are entirely on our own and have to fix everything ourselves? What if it's salvation from the idea that humans matter more than the rest of God's creation? What if it's salvation from a black and white thinking that believes God is up there, we are down here, and never the twain shall meet? What if instead of God flat out rejecting us, God is saying, eh, you're not ready yet? What if God is saying, okay, yeah, look, I know. I know you think you ate and drank with me. I know that we hung out over dinner once, but you haven't really put into practice the stuff I was teaching. Go back and practice and then come back and knock again. Or what if we're the ones who can't get in the narrow gate because all of all the baggage we're carrying? We just can't fit. Or what if it's about not about trying to go to the kingdom of God, but rather learning to catch sight of it already here? These are the questions I find myself asking when I try to hold a Jesus story like this one right next to a Jesus story about knocking and the door being opened. Friends, I don't know whether or not I'm right. But I'm also not sure how much God is worried about us being right and how much God just 
wants us out there in the world, loving our neighbors and loving God. Every time an angel comes to announce something to a human being in the Gospels, they tell them, do not be afraid. So friends, let us not be afraid. Let's keep knocking at the door of this story and all our teachings until we find our healing.